blessed God's way to the good life. It's based upon the words of Jesus, famous words of Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount that we call the Beatitudes. And Beatitudes are just an old-fashioned English word of saying the blesseds. (laughs) These are the blessings that God promises to people who live in His kingdom The first beatitude, remember, was blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now that's a marvelous promise before we get to poverty of spirit because he doesn't say to us they get to go into the kingdom, they get to live in the kingdom, they get to enjoy some of the things of the kingdom, but they possess the kingdom. (laughs) In other words, everything, when you get God, When you surrender to God completely, everything that is God's is yours. God has a lot. He's very wealthy. I don't know if you're aware of that, all right? And suddenly you become very wealthy, not because of who you are, but because of whose you are. (laughs) You belong to Him, and so all that is His is yours. Entrance into the kingdom begins with this principle, blessed are the poor in spirit. When I come to God, I say, I've done a terrible job running my own life. I confess, I've done my best and I tried, (laughs) but I have failed. I admit my failure. Now I can turn control of my life over to God and he just waits to do it. Oh, oh, by the way, it's not really even a failure because you were created to live with Him reigning in your heart. Did you know that? He made you that way. All you've done is through your failure come back full circle to the thing you were created for. To live under His rule and in His ways enjoying all of His blessings. So, first step is, and by the way, these Beatitudes are in a particular order on purpose so we would say this is the first step how many of you who do recovery notice that the first step sounds a lot like the first step (laughs) that's because they came from the same place all right (laughs) i'm powerless i admit my failure and turn control over to god second beatitude is blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted now I pointed out last week, some of you swallowed it, some of you had a hard time swallowing it. This is not a promise just to comfort mourning people because we know that from throughout the Bible. God is compassionate. He cares about people who are hurting. But what does that have to do with the first step? If you've divorced it from the first step, then you've obviously missed Jesus' point because he gave eight and he gave them in an order on purpose. He's talking about a particular kind of mourning. (laughs) Mourning is the Bible word for the word grieve. When we lose something that's important to us. Let me tell you that in your sin, there's nothing more important to you than running your own life. And trying to prove that you're okay and you can make it and you'll just be fine on your own. That's your number one priority when you're living apart from God. And when you come in poverty of spirit to enter the kingdom, you have to die to that. How often do you have to die to it? You got to do it. Yeah, Paul did it daily. 
I'm not going to claim as great a spirituality as he had. Okay? I have to do it moment by moment. Hour by hour. Situa- situation. I admit my failure and turn control over to God. Then I learn to return to the cross again and again to surrender. Every time I have issues in my life, I should stop and say, did I take back control of me? (laughs) Chances are you did. It's all right. Stop at that very moment, whatever you're doing, wherever you're at, and surrender afresh. It's okay. That's the way it works because the flesh has to be dealt with moment by moment, situation by situation. That brings us today to the third beatitude, but we should recognize this. The third beatitude can be a little confusing, and it's totally irrelevant if you haven't practiced one and two. It is, by the way, the natural course of things if you have practiced one and two. The third beatitude says, Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. How many of you consider yourself meek? (laughs) None of you. Oh, Dale says he's meek. I raised my hand just in proxy. How many of you thought, well, that's quite a joke, the pastor meek? No, I'm not. Not in the modern usage of the word meek, that's not me, but the Bible often means something different. It's this third commitment. I rest in him and as a result become all I can be. Now, this is similar, as a lot of these are, to things you hear at motivational conferences, right? You've got what it takes. You can do it. Now get out there and apply your strengths and resources and watch big things begin to happen. There's nothing evil that comes from that, by the way, and and I have no problem with it. It's just that at some point, it doesn't really work, does it? Again, it is in total contradiction to Beatitude 1, Beatitude 2. Beatitude 3 doesn't contradict poverty of spirit or my need to mourn over my own failure. It reminds me that God wants to do in and through me what I could never do by my own striving. That God wants to give me, by His grace, what I cannot earn by my effort. Now, most of us who are evangelical Christians, we quickly and easily apply this to our salvation. But in the New Testament, this in fact applies to everything. Everything you do today, everything you say, everything you are, everything you're becoming. Here's the way it works as we link together the first three Beatitudes. Poverty of spirit or we sometimes call it humility, brings us to the point where we confess our own neediness before God. Second, mourning is the process that we enter into having surrendered the power to rule and reign our own kingdoms. You know what your kingdom is? It's your life. 
It's when you go like, where do I want to go today? Who do I want to be with? What do I want to have for lunch? Okay. <laughs> Those are good questions in your kingdom. In God's kingdom, you say, God, lead and direct me where you want me to be. I'm planning to go to lunch today to do-do-do. If you've got a different plan, show it to me, and I'll be there. I'll disregard mine in a moment. Where do you want me to be? Walk into a room. There are lots of people. You go like, oh, there's Susie. I haven't seen her in a long time. I'd like to talk to her. And God says, yeah, but in my kingdom today, I'd like you to talk to Frank. Oh, not Frank. He's such a loser, right? Okay. But in the kingdom of God, you say, I want to talk to the people today that you've ordained me to talk to. I want to accomplish the things you've ordained for me to accomplish. I've got a list of things, and I'll feel really good if I get them all done at the end of the day. But what if I get halfway through, and then God has me stop and help somebody change their tire? Okay. There's a very good chance I'm not going to get through all the things on my list, am I? In God's kingdom, he might have had a different idea. Well, when I surrender to God's will and live in his kingdom, the natural outcome is meekness. Now, it's obviously not what you're thinking when you hear the word meekness. But let's just establish, first of all, that meekness is the byproduct of living in the kingdom of God. Meekness is the result in my life when I surrender to God because the one I'm surrendering to is meek. Jesus is meek. Jesus demonstrated meekness. We think about all the things Jesus did, all the ways he reacted. He didn't always appear meek by our modern definition, did he? Let's look at it. Like a lot of English words in the Bible, the word meek has lost its true meaning in English. <coughs> so much so, that if you have uh, various translations of the Bible, you will see that the old-fashioned King James word is meek, and when the New International Version sought to provide a word that they felt like might be closer to the English meaning of the Koine Greek word, they chose a different word. Anybody know what word they chose? Starts with G. You haven't read it in there? Gentle. Gentleness. They say, blessed are the gentle. <laughs> Most people had the same reaction you just had. It's as far off point as the word meek. Unless... Uh, They've got a point if you go back about a hundred years ago, maybe even 50 if you lived in a little slower society, all right? We used to say that a man in particular who carried themselves with confidence, who had nothing to prove, who didn't need to defend themselves, who then used that energy to care more about the needs and concerns of other people, we used to call that man a what? Gentle man. Now, today, doesn't work, all right? But back then, it worked. That's pretty close to the Greek word that's translated meek. 
Meekness is not weakness, it's strength under control. In other words, I am confident, not because of, because of uh, what I have to prove, what I'm trying to help you see, but I'm confident because I'm confident of who I am. And in this biblical context, confident of who I am in Christ. In Christ. Meek. If you look up the dictionary definition today, they're a little confused too. They say simply, having a calm temper, not easily provoked. Now, there are some people like that, but by the way, what is also true about most of the people who are like this? They don't have any confidence. They go, well, I don't have anything to say. or well, They'll just push me out of the way if I say something, so I just better stay back here and, and hopefully they won't notice me. Oh, you're so meek. Well, that's not meekness. <laughs> okay? That's not it. In fact, we have a metaphor, don't we, <laughs> that goes with this. We say, that person, they're as meek as a... Oh, you know what? Somebody in... I think that must be the older thing because that's what everybody said in my, uh, at, at the retirement home when I used this same thing. Now, I always say, meek as a mouse, right? And the mouse is like out there surviving, but how are they surviving? They run and hide. That's how they survive, right? They go out and get what they need, and if they can't get all that they need, but yet they're threatened, they just run back in their hole. Meek as a mouse. That may be consistent with the current English usage of the word. It's not at all consistent. Aren't those cute mice? <laughs> not at all consistent with the... Yeah, you don't feel that way about it? <laughs> as long as they're at somebody else's house, maybe? The interesting thing is the root origin of the word that's actually used in the original text of the scriptures, the Koine Greek, is the word praus, praus. And the curious thing about that is, if you go all the way back to classical Greek, the praus was, interestingly enough, something you would have never guessed. It is not a mouse, but it is this. Praus was a war horse. Here's how it worked. When the Greeks wanted a horse to serve in the military as a war horse, they would go out and find the wildest horses they could find. Then for six months, they would put them under a training program. After the six-month training program, they would divide all of the horses into three categories. Those who couldn't be trained, and they set them free. Secondly, those who in the training were broken and now walked with their heads hanging low and didn't resist and didn't run when they were, unless they were told to run and all of that. And they were used as burdens of, beasts of burden to just carry loads. The third group was deemed the prowess. The horses who maintained their strength Maintain their spirit, but under the control of their master. And Jesus said, blessed are the prowess, 
Blessed are those who, though in coming into the kingdom, they recognize that they had failed at doing, running their own lives. Now understand that does not mean that they don't have value and reason for confidence. But their confidence is in the one to whom they belong, not in themselves. Proverbs. So in this way, the Bible talks about meekness, along with several other qualities, as something that we cannot strive for. You can't come to church on Sunday and hear the pastor talk about meekness and decide, I'm not very meek. I think this week I need to try to be meeker. I don't know if that's a word. I need to try to be more meek. Chances are, if this week you try to be more meek, next Sunday you'll be even less weak, less meek, and more weak. <laughs> Meekness is not something you work at, you strive for. It is something you receive as a gift. You may remember Paul uses an entirely different metaphor but it applies in the same way in which he says, you know, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you as a believer. And he wants to call the shots. He wants to run your life. But if you don't want him to, he won't. You can allow your flesh to rule or you can allow the Spirit to rule. Now, if you allow the flesh to rule, he makes a list of things that you'll probably see in the way of behaviors and attitudes. He calls them the works of the flesh, right? And then he says, but the fruit of the Spirit, I remember reading that, is, okay, and you may remember there were some of them were love, joy, peace, patience, and then you get down to number uh, eight, I think it is, and uh, he says, if I can get a switch there, by the next one, the fruit of the Spirit is number eight, meekness. Now, if you have an NIV, what do you think it says? It says gentleness, okay? It's the same word. It's the prowess word. He's saying like, when the Holy Spirit's in control of my life, I now become confident. But it is not the confidence that is taught at self-help conferences or in self-help books. That's self-confidence. What do we call this? God confidence, okay? I know that God in me can do anything. It's the way that Paul, in the same epistle, can say, I am the chief of sinners. I am as low as you can get. And before the epistle's over, he will say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He's either schizophrenic, or he understands his concept, doesn't he? He goes... In myself, nothing good. When I surrender to God, in and through me, He works all kinds of good, including meekness. Meekness. It works the same as sometimes people will say, Oh, don't pray for patience. If you pray for patience, God will send you trials. So, don't pray for faith. Let me instruct you this. If you are a believer, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. 
The fruit of the Spirit is patience. He's going to produce patience whether you like it or not. If that takes trials, He's going to bring them. Okay? <laughs> You're not going to control that. Recognize this. In the same way, God wants to give you meekness. God confidence. Picture how a confident person carries themselves. Picture how a confident person addresses challenges. Picture how a confident person deals with other people. Picture how a confident person responds to those who have less. God will produce that in you. But it is not self-confidence. Self-confidence is in fact an illusion. Okay? Because. I don't know if you ever noticed that. In the Bible, we use certain adjectives to describe God. And we use certain adjectives to describe us. When we talk about God, we say God is omnipotent. What does that mean? All powerful can do it. Omni means all. Omnipotent. He can do anything. Omniscient. He knows everything. Omnipresent. He is always present in every situation all of the time. How many of you have ever heard any of those adjectives used to describe any human being, no matter how powerful or smart or successful? No. We are, in fact, known by our limitations, are we not? That's how you can tell I'm human. Because we could take a little survey in here and we could say, wonder who's got the highest IQ in this group? We're not going to really compete about that, but just wonder... Somebody does. And let's say we find out we didn't know it because we don't have that many ways to challenge you to it in this group, but we're going like, you've got a 135 IQ. We'll all stop and go, that's amazing. If I ever have any problems I can't solve, I'm calling you 135. That's incredible. And then the pastor goes, how come it's not 136? You know, I heard about this guy. I heard Einstein had a 150 plus. Like, you see how that goes? Because human beings are known by their limit. At some point, there's an end to it, right? Or the, let's take something that guys may be able to relate to better. Uh, who can bench press the most? Okay? And go like, this guy, he bench pressed three reps at 250. And we all, if we're not professional football players, go, that's amazing. How come you do, couldn't do four reps? How come you didn't do 275? Let's put another plate on there and see how you do. Because we define you as a human being, no matter how smart or strong you are, by your limitations, right? We don't describe that way, God that way. We describe Him by His lack of limitations. So think about the difference between self-confidence, which says, I think I'm smarter than you, and God-confidence, which says, You know, I'm so easily confused. But God's wisdom is never ending. 
There's so much I can't handle as a person. I'm not, I may look strong, but I'm not all that strong. But God who lives in me is omnipotent. The fruit of the Spirit is meekness. Now, when it comes to meekness and all of the fruit of the Spirit, (laughs) they can never be accomplished in the flesh, that is, by the efforts of me. Because in so doing, we're forever trying to acquire what we think we need in order to be enough. How much is enough? How many degrees will it take to prove you're really smart? How many times do you have to go to the gym and how many uh, supplements do you have to drink in order to be as strong as you think you need to be to be really strong? Or what is it you're striving for? How high on the ladder of success do you have to climb? How many houses do you have to sell? How many people do you have to have under your, your control before you're somebody? It's never enough, is it? You can never really prove yourself on this level. Zerubbabel was king in Israel, and he was facing a challenge of an opponent much greater than his own nation's army. And on the night before going out to battle, God warned him, the victory is going to be yours, but it will not be by might, by your effort, not by your power, not by the exertion of that effort, but by my spirit. Back to the fruit of the spirit. Same thing, right? Meekness. It's not going to be by might or by your effort, but by the Holy Spirit in charge of your life. Turning your life at the cross daily over to Christ. Now, each of these Beatitudes has a promise that goes with it, don't they? And the promises are awesome, but sometimes confusing. And none is more confusing than this one. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Inherit the earth. We read earlier the 37th Psalm. Live in the land, enjoy it, it is your inheritance, David said. He was talking to the Jews, because God had given them a promise, hadn't he? He gave them the promise of a land. Now, they have had physical possession of that land off and on throughout human history. But any of you who study history may be aware that Not as a surprise to people who knew the Bible, God gave back the land to Israel in 1948. And then in the 1960s, in a six-day war where Syria was trying, no, Egypt, excuse me, was trying to take back some of the land, Israel just responded to defend themselves. And in responding to defend themselves, they ended up with more of the land than they started with. 
Now, how's that happen? Because Israel's army is better than other armies? No. God said it. God always keeps His word. The land here, in this metaphor, it represents all that we need. Okay? You know that everything in this earth belongs to God? All of it. Sometimes I have to remind myself of that when we, when we take an offering. All the money in the world belongs to God. He can channel as much of it as He wants to to us, and He can use anybody He wants to to channel it this direction. Because it all belongs to Him. Everything belongs to God. Or when sometimes people fret about the fact that, well, we want to do this, but the, the local government is standing against it. You, you don't know that the local government and all the people who sit in all the chairs in local government all belong to God. <laughs> if He wants to move them around, He'll move them around. Be certain of that. Including you, if you're one of them. And so when it comes to this promise, God says, learn God confidence, meekness, and when you do, find this out, that in God confidence, that is, your, your trust is in God, so all that belongs to God is at your disposal. If the only thing that matters to you is today, I want to do your will and be who you created me to be, guess what God will give you? Everything you need to do what He wants you to do and everything He wants you to have to become all that you're supposed to be. That's the God we serve. That's meekness. That's how it comes. That's where it comes from. Here's the word from the psalm we read. Those who are evil will be destroyed, but those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. Now, I don't know about you, I don't need more land, because it just means you've got to plow the snow or shovel or mow the grass, right? But land here represents whatever that belongs to this world that you need to do God's will, He'll give you. Now, can you claim that promise if you haven't surrendered your life to God, if you're not living in the kingdom of God? No, that's absurd. He's not going to give you everything you need to be happy. He's not going to give you everything you need to be better than other people. He's not going to give you everything you need to be the person you've always wanted to be. He's going to give you everything you need to become the person He's designed you to be and to do all of the work that He's given you to do. Well, that makes sense, doesn't it? And that's where meekness comes in. We can't accomplish God's purposes for our lives apart from meekness, apart from God confidence. Listen to these promises from the New Testament. This one from Ephesians 1.3, same as the Psalm 37 promise, but in a New Testament sense. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with how many? Every spiritual blessing in Christ. All that belongs to Christ, says Paul, as he opens his letter to the Ephesians, belongs to you, who are his people. You, who have surrendered to him. And I love this verse from 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Everything belongs, he's talking to believers, everything belongs to you. 
That's awesome, isn't it? And you belong to Christ. That's why everything belongs to you. And Christ belongs to God. Everything belongs to me when I belong to Christ. An awesome promise. Okay. Are you ever going to go without what you need to be who God wants you to be as you live in the kingdom of heaven, surrendered to his will? Never. No way. That would be absolutely contradictory and something God would never do. If you don't have it, then maybe he doesn't want you to do it. Or he doesn't want you to do it today. Or you don't need it yet today. But it will be there when you need it to do what he's called you to do. Of this you can be certain in the kingdom of heaven. Because blessed are the meek. They inherit the earth. Let's pray. God, we're rejoicing today in your marvelous, marvelous goodness to us. Everything that belongs to heaven and earth, it's all yours. And as we live in the kingdom of God, it is all ours as a result. How amazing is that? Father, as we come to the end of this service, Help us now, having heard this truth <clears throat> and placed our faith in your word to surrender to what you want to do in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. <clears throat> Amen. Let's